0: it's all going to be okay, right? Not that it's all going to work out the way we want or the way we would like it to, but that because we're in Christ, whatever happens, it's all going to be okay. And we're going we're gonna to weave that into what we're going to talk about this morning. And it was funny because when I was preparing this week and just really asking God, what what is it that you have to share, right? What do you, What do you want me to say? I could say lots of things, but what do you want me to say? You know, and uh, so the story that came to my heart, I was like, "I'm, the, I'm just being honest." I was telling them in there too. I was like, "God, that's a kid's story. Like, come on." And uh, he was like, "It's not a kid's story. It's part of my word." I was like, oh, "Heart check, right? Like, it gets you." And it was the thought behind my saying it was a kid's story was the fact that it's familiar, that we've heard it over and over, that it's nothing new. People probably have uh, read this since they were little, and this can't be what you want me to talk about. And even as we're in there, and I was saying it was a kid's story, Sam, our sound person, was like, we are children of God. I was like, yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, you're right. You're right. It can't be a kid's story and be God's word. It's both. So this morning, we are going to talk through the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And I am excited to share with you what God showed me, despite my judgments at the beginning. Um, You know, God always gets us. He always finds a way to just, like, reveal that little bit of your heart that, like, you know, like, oh, look, right there. Okay, I'm just going to point that out to you, right? God has something in everything. Don't let something be so familiar that you miss what God wants to show you in it. The everyday, the mundane, all the things that you do day after day, start looking for God because he's there, just like in these stories that we've heard over and over. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of background on Daniel just because some of us may know this story very well. Some of us may not be as familiar with certain things. So Daniel was from Jerusalem, but he was taken captive and taken away to the city of Babylon. And the, basically, the Babylonians raided Jerusalem like three times, and in the first wave is when they took Daniel uh, with them, and then they came back twice more, each time looting the temple, tearing down the city, and the third time basically like decimating it and having all of the people leave. So Daniel was one of the first ones to go, and in this verse we're going to read here in a minute, Daniel... Uh, was part of what they considered the cream of the crop. He was one of the people that you would pick based on status and looks and those type of things out of that city, which is what this um, this empire was looking at because they weren't, you know, godly and looking at the heart. They were looking at the outward appearance. So in Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, the king commanded... Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So he was one of those. He was one of those youth. He was probably 15 or 16 years old. Um, Him, along with um, some others that you know, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that's not their Hebrew names, but that's how most of us know them, so they, they were all brought over in this first swoop of pulling captives, and now he lives in Babylon, he's being trained to be in a king's palace, a place that worships these other gods, has evil practices, and definitely does not follow the Mosaic law that he was raised and taught So if we fast forward a few chapters into uh, chapter six, this is where the story of Daniel and the Lionston takes place. He's probably like 82 now, right? Like that's a quick (laughs) few chapters. He goes from 15 to 82. Although that's how life feels sometimes. It goes by really fast. But he's 82, and I'm going to touch on some of the things that happened in between as we go along, but I kind of want to give you, a brief overview of this story, like paraphrase the story of Daniel in the lion's den for you. I wanna encourage you though, during the week, read Daniel 6, because even with the things I'm sharing, I'm sure God has things that are just specific that He wants to show you. So this week, read Daniel 6. That's your homework. You have homework this week. We want you to read that chapter. It's not a kid's story. That's what you gotta tell yourself and read Daniel 6. All right, so at age 82, Daniel was one of the highest officials to the king, to King Darius. And he was moving up those ranks, right? He was on his way up. King Darius was very new at being the king there. If you remember the story with Belshazzar and the hand that comes and writes on the wall, because he was using um, vessels from the temple to do all that he wanted to do, nothing holy. And uh, then he was told he wasn't humbling his heart. and, And basically, God called down judgment on him. He died that night. Well, this is the king that took over. The king, King Darius of the Medes, he took over, and he was now in charge. So he uh, had taken a liking to Daniel. He probably heard some of the stories, like, this was the guy that just told the other king he was going to die. I probably want him on my good side, right? Like, I'm sure he heard different things. But he also knew that Daniel uh, had a good spirit in him, and this completely made the other officials jealous right? They wanted to be promoted. They wanted to be important. We saw that that is what the Babylonians look for when they went to uh, Jerusalem the first time. That's who they picked, right? They didn't pick the most generous, the loving, the, no, they looked at the outside. They looked at the, the stature, the position. And so that's what's important to these guys. And they see somebody else getting it, yeah, that's going to make them jealous. So they get in this little the Bible says they, they're in an agreement, but really what it means is they're in a little group, right? Like, if you're back in high school and there's like the little group in the corner, they that was them. They're in a little group and they're devising this plan. How can we get rid of this guy? Like, he is a problem. He's taking what we want. We need to get him out of here. And whenever they refer to him, they call him the exile. They don't even call him by his name. He is like, an outcast to them. They want him gone. So they devise, they're coming together trying to devise this plan, but there is a problem because they can't find any dirt on him, right? He's like the most squeaky clean guy ever. And it's really irritating them because they really want to take him down. They finally come to the the idea that the only way to do this is by using the law of his God against him, right? We can't find anything on him to like really throw him under the bus. So let's look this other direction. And so they said, you know, like, we know that Daniel prays three times a day because Daniel's doing this all the time, consistently. It wasn't like after the decree he said, oh, let me just pray three times a day. No, Daniel has been doing this, praying three times a day, and they're like, okay, we can work with this. All right, so they come up with this plan, and they head to King Darius, and they say, okay, you know. They're laying it on thick. And they tell him how wonderful he is and that all of the leaders in the land, well, that's a lie. But what do we expect from this group? That all the leaders think that for the next 30 days that no one should pray or petition anyone else but you, king. Now, King Darius is new in this position, right? And he's probably thinking, it's probably a good idea to like get them focused on me, get their loyalties in one place, and all the leaders think it's a great idea so yeah let's do this next 30 days let's do that so he signs off on it in a way that is unchangeable if you remember the story with esther and haman and how when the jews are supposed to be killed haman had the king signed off of it and it was unchangeable it's exactly the same they're both from uh the same place the same uh the Medes and the Persians, they're together, and it's the same unchangeable thing when that king signed that decree. So the king signs it, and they're ready, and they were so excited because their plan was in motion. Now, Daniel knew, the Bible clearly says, Daniel knew that this was signed, right? He's not living in oblivion. He knows it's signed. But when he prays, just like he always has, he goes to his uh, his place. The windows open towards Jerusalem. He gets on his knees, how he always prays. And he prays and he thanks God, just like he always has. Well, here again comes the little agreement of men. I just, maybe I've watched too many cartoons, but I see them like all like walking together, like in this little group. And they come right in front of Daniel's house. Okay, this was so planned. This was not about the king at all, right? Like it's very premeditated It's, they knew when he prayed, they knew when to show up to see, catch him in what he was doing. And as soon as they see it, then their little group takes off again and goes to tattle to the king. And they go to the king and they tell him, Daniel's praying, like, this is against what you decreed. And that king is devastated. The Bible says he's distraught. He likes Daniel. He doesn't want to throw Daniel into the lion's den. That was not his plan when he signed this decree. And so it says he actually tried, like, all day to figure out a way to get out of this. And this group of men was not letting him out of it. This was their plan, right? So they're like, King, this is unchangeable. You have to do this. This is the law. You cannot get out of it. So at the end of the day, uh, the king, you know, takes Daniel and he says, you know, I, I pray that the God whom you serve will save you. And puts him into the pit. Now, listen, I just want to stop right there because he's 82. I'm telling you, if you dropped me into a pit when I was 82, that'd be it. I don't need the lions. I'm just gone because you dropped me into a pit. That is the first miracle that happened there. He survived the fall. 82-year-old man thrown down the pit. Oh, my goodness. But now that he survived the fall, <laughs> they, they cover it with a stone and they seal it with the king's signet ring. Basically, they don't want it disturbed or nobody can open that until the king would come back or give his order for it to be removed. The king's still just a hot mess, and he heads back home, doesn't eat, he doesn't sleep. He's worried about Daniel. Daniel was important to him. And uh, so he heads out the next morning, and uh, the first thing he does, like, I could see him, like, running, like, holding up his little robes. I'm sorry, I got cartoons in my head this morning. Like, I just feel like it's, but it's so, it's so true. I'm sure he was running and the king heads over there and he says, Daniel, has your God saved you? And Daniel says, oh, king, live forever. I just want to pause there one moment. The respect that Daniel shows for the person that's in authority over him. He's in a lion's den that the king threw him in and the first thing out of his mouth is, oh, king, live forever. Not like, get me out of here, right? Like, no, oh, king, live forever. My God sent an angel and shut the lion's mouth because I am innocent before him and I'm innocent before you. They have not harmed me. And so the story wraps up. Um, the leaders and their families are now thrown into the lion's den and King Darius makes a decree that uh, God, the, they should honor and fear the God of Daniel. Now, that's probably in addition to all the other gods that he served. Um, it's probably not because he keeps calling it Daniel's God. He doesn't ever say, my God, right? King Darius never makes it personal to him. But God begins to get glory through this and begins to get realized. So this is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. But now let's look at three things that come out of this story, right? This is, um, this is the part that uh, I'm, I'm excited about because uh, you might not have had it if I had decided this was a kid's story, but we're gonna jump into this. The first thing that I want you to see is that your priorities are revealed under pressure. So be prepared. Your priorities, the things that you put first in your life, the things that you spend all your time on things that you fill up on, that's what's gonna be magnified in your life. It's gonna be very evident to the people around you what's on the inside. So I have this video that I want you guys to watch. If you've noticed, I didn't bring my little table of object lessons. I always do. I feel a little weird up here without a table, but I do have a video I wanna show you. In this video, um, it's it's nothing fancy, but it's this guy showing you how to tell the difference between fool's gold and real gold. And I just want you to watch this for a minute. Hey YouTube, have you ever seen your pan look like this? And thought, oh man, there's a ton of gold in there? (laughs) Well, it's fool's gold. The way you can tell is when you rock the pan, it all moves. Gold does not move like that in a pan, it will, but not that easy. The other thing you can do is the shade test. See how it's nice, bright, and shiny? Right there's some real gold. Watch what happens when I move the pan. Stays put. Watch what happens when I stand in front of the light. It's still there. You can see it. Real gold. All right, that guy, he's the best video maker ever, right? (laughs) But I love this video because When we fill our stuff up with fake, and stuff comes along, we're easily moved, right? The gold was, fake gold was easily moved around. The real gold stood firm. It did not move. It was stable. Also, when the darkness came, the fake gold was gone. There was no sign of it. But when the real gold was there, you could see it really brightly, right? Because the truth of what it is comes out. I just love how God uses nature to help us learn things. Isn't that cool how he can use the things like that? So the fool's gold and fake gold. I, wait, I said both of them are fake. So the fool's gold and the real gold. Well, when you, what are you making a priority today in your life? Because whatever is a priority today is already determining your future outcome. When you're looking at Daniel and where he's at in this story in Daniel 6. If we look way back when he first got taken, he's this 16-year-old kid, and he's taken to the king's palace and like all this like delicious food and these things that he was not allowed to eat under the Mosaic law are all there. Wine that had been offered to the gods of Babylon, all this stuff that he didn't have. Now listen, I don't know if any of you have ever had 16-year-old boys, but if you put like a spread out in front of them and then you walk away and it's like... (sighs) Like, where did all the food go? <laughs> right? Like, we have youth on, on Sunday nights, and we put the snacks out, and it's like this horde. Like, they just come and, like, devour, and it's gone. Like, like what is happening? But Daniel has a 16-year-old boy, which this I mean, he's a 16-year-old boy. Like, they didn't get different, you know? But he had enough in him that he said, here, I'm going to read this to you. Uh, he said... Let me find it. In Daniel 1 8, he says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. This 16 year old boy resolved, he determined, he had it put upon his heart that he would not do the things that he knew God didn't want him to do. They served things like horse and pork. And like I said, the wine that was offered um, to the other gods, all things strictly prohibited in the Mosaic law that he was um, taught as a boy. And he decided, him and his friends, that they weren't going to do this. But I do want you to make a note, too, that he didn't just, like, knock everything over and say, like, I'm not doing this. It's against what God wants. He goes to the eunuch, and he says that we don't want to do this. And they begin to have that conversation about you know, the eunuch's like, I'm going to die. And he says, well, let's do it for 10 days. And he has that conversation with him, right? He begins to try that way. It doesn't always work like it did in that instance, but he had that, that conversation first. He grounded himself over the next 62 years in following God. That was his first moment that we see in this hostile environment, right? He was learning to live and thrive in a culture that was against what he believed. Are any of us there today? right? We all live in a culture that's against what we believe. How do we thrive? How do we live? How do we let what's inside of us when that pressure comes be the right thing? One of the things that um, we easily do that we should avoid is, is we talk ourselves into compromise. Um, Let's think about that with Daniel. He, was, he had 30 days here, right, that they, they wanted him to pray to the king. What if he was like, 30 days? Okay, 30 days. I mean, God would want me to show honor to this king, and God knows I love him, so 30 days. Like, it would be fine. I'll just, I won't pray for the 30 days, and then I'll go back to praying, and God knows my heart. We could easily talk ourselves into justifying something like that to figure it out, to, to make it sound okay, because there are some things in what I said that are true. they're was to honor the authority that God puts over us, right? God does know, I mean, he's always gonna love us, but there were some twists in there that shouldn't have been made, some compromise that shouldn't have been made. And the truth is that we just wanna avoid some of the confrontation, right? And we don't wanna negotiate or work with those who are against God because it's futile. If you read in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, it says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Don't compromise with somebody in this world what God has for you. Bending to them is only going to um, hurt you. It's going to contradict what God's trying to do in your life, and it's going to give them more ammunition. I'm telling you, if Daniel stopped praying, those, that little group of men wouldn't have been like, good job, buddy, like way to go. They didn't like him. They were doing this to get rid of them. In fact, they'd probably be like, oh, so this God you served for 60 years, you can't stay faithful to him? How are you gonna stay faithful to our king? Like they would have totally twisted it and begun to take him down a different way. Stay true to God no matter what. He also didn't flagrantly blow it up and begin to pray like with a trumpet. Doo, 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 I'm going to pray now. No. He didn't make it in their faces. He just continued steadfastly to follow God like he always had. And because he did that when this pressure started to come, we begin to see what's inside Daniel. We begin to see his unwavering face, right? We begin to see that he's not fearful that he has peace. All of these things because he stayed true to God and followed God all these years. So the first thing we're looking at is that our priorities are revealed under pressure, so we need to be prepared, starting now before the pressure comes. The second thing that we're gonna look at is that we need to expect attacks and see them for what they are. Um, God 100% blesses his people when they're following him. And So we shouldn't be surprised that it puts a target on our back for the enemy, right? The enemy hates God, therefore he hates you. You were created in his image. Not everything is an attack. I say it a lot, but we live in a broken world. Uh, So not everything that happens is because of the enemy. But there are attacks, and you are not immune, and you shouldn't be surprised when he comes against you because he doesn't like what you're doing. That's the whole reason we have uh, the the part in scripture about the armor of God. In Ephesians, I'm just going to read part of it, chapter 6, 10 through 11. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We're not meant to play defense. We're meant to play offense right, to know that it's coming, uh, to be ready, knowing that the enemy is 100% going to try to stop what you are doing for God and what God is doing. So in um, one of my other messages that I shared, I talked to you a little bit about how God has helped me overcome a lot of fear in my life. And I just, I wanted to go a little further because when it I'd always had fear in my life, but you know, sometimes you live with something for so long you don't recognize that it's really there. It's just like part of you. Like I just thought that everybody else got scared like this too, no big deal. But when I was in college and I was preparing to head on a missions trip to India, um, that is when this fear just, it started to like overwhelm me, right? And uh, looking back, now I know the enemy did not want me going to India. He didn't want me going and sharing God anywhere, but for whatever reason in this moment, um, it was an attack. And I remember going to sleep one night and, uh, you know, dreams, of course, the enemy loves to give you nightmares and scare you to death in in your dreams. And in this one dream, there was just this decrepit person thing. And pushing on my chest and pushing on my chest and I woke up and I literally could not breathe and I was in my dorm room so I should have yelled Jesus first but let's just be honest I was trying to yell my roommate's name because I couldn't breathe and I was trying to yell Jana and I none of the words were coming out of my mouth and she's sleeping because it's like 3 a.m. and uh, finally I'm like oh yeah Jesus and I could say that and I said Jesus and listen if if you walked into here today not sure if the spiritual realm is real, it's absolutely real. And I don't say that to scare you because I walk through fear. I know fear's a lot, it's a tool of the enemy. But there are demonic forces, there are angels, God is supernatural, that is the world that he lives in. And so this fear was so real and it was terror. And I began to have people pray with me and as they prayed, I remember um, this one pastor, he said, just close your eyes for a minute. And I closed my eyes, and uh he said, Do you see Jesus with you? And in, I, I was like, I like I don't, like in this moment, like in my mind, I don't see him. I said, I feel like I'm in a dungeon. I feel like there's like bricks all around me. And, Like I could see some light and it was just like, I just, I was there and I couldn't get out. And it was even crazy to me in one of the songs that we were singing, it talked about fear being taken out brick by brick. I felt like those bricks were all around me. And the pastor said, look around. And in that moment, it was like I could see myself and Jesus was behind me doing this. Holding me in the middle of it. And when I saw Jesus there in the middle of what I had been going through, even though I couldn't see him right in front of me, it made it explode. And I remember God speaking to my heart and saying, I have torn down these walls of fear, but it's going to be hard to walk out of it. There's going to be some, some, uh, rubble. There's going to be some things to climb over. But let me tell you, the next, uh, time I was sleeping and I felt that fear begin to come into my room no lie and and listen I'm demonic forces are strong without Jesus we need God but when it came into my room because I knew the freedom that I had in Jesus it was like this thing and I laughed I actually laughed out loud that this thing was trying to scare me and I was like Jesus like Jesus you have given me Rita. The next morning I get up and the girl in the room next to me, because there was a verse that I would always pray now too, I will lay down and my sleep will be sweet. It's in Proverbs three twenty four, And I spoke it. The word of God is powerful. The next morning I get up and the girl in the room next to me, she was like, because I, I was an RA at the school, she was like, I need you to pray with me. She was like, last night, this fear just came into my room. It just like overwhelmed me. Man, that stinking enemy knew he couldn't get at me and he went next door. And so I began to pray with her and I began to share the verses with her that she could begin to pray. I'm telling you, the enemy doesn't just say, Oh, I lost, let me leave. He is relentless. You need to expect attacks from him and be ready. He does not have power over you when you are following Jesus. He's a liar. That's right. And my kids, like, I don't watch scary things. I don't, and listen, it it may be okay for some of you. Like, each of us have a different place where God has, you know, called us what to watch, what not to watch. Of course, some things we shouldn't watch. But they don't always understand, While well, I'll turn something off or walk away. It's because I know what I walked through, and I don't want that enemy to have one inch back into my life. I don't want it. All right. So... You're a threat. Take that as a compliment. You're a threat to the enemy because you're allowing God to do things. And Daniel had done nothing to these leaders. In fact, uh, the king himself says in Daniel 6.3, he says an excellent spirit was in him. It was God. An excellent spirit was within him. He wasn't just being nice to the king and then going behind the king's back and like being mean to the leaders. He wasn't manipulating, right? He was excelling because of the favor of God in his life, and the enemy could not let that happen. The enemy wanted to take him down by either getting him away from serving God or killing him, and he was using the leaders to do it. In James 1, 2 through 4, this is a verse that I'm sure a lot of you have heard. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. When we are expecting the attacks, and I know that, um, that my dad even would always say this, that we could see them as a gift. Not, not that we want them or that they're going to be easy, like, no, that's weird if you want, <laughs> we don't want them, right? We don't want them. But through them, through the testing, the tempting to turn to something else other than God, that is where that patience, that endurance is produced. And that endurance, when it grows and it's developed and it's fully matured, grows into completeness and wholeness with God so that you are lacking nothing. That's why you get excited about it. Because it's a chance to go deeper and be more whole in God than you were before that test, before that attack. This week, as I was preparing this, every single one of my kids had stuff happen. There was sickness, there was bullying, there was things that were going on. In fact, as I was writing this exact section about expecting attacks, I got a phone call about one of my kids dealing with a situation at school. I'm telling you, the enemy knows how to get you, and my kids are my everything, right? And that's what he's going to go after. And I'm you don't want your kids to go through it, but also when when the enemy comes after my kids, I'm like, God's about to do something. And then I pray for my kids and I talk to my kids and walk them through it. The enemy doesn't want you to shine. He doesn't want you to get God's word out. He doesn't want you to make darkness flee. His whole job is to stop you. Daniel does this. So we've looked at how your priorities are revealed under pressure, so you need to be prepared We've looked at how Daniel shows us to expect the attacks and be aware of what they were. He knew what that was that was happening. It didn't faze him. The third thing that I want to talk about this morning is that God's plan and provision, are they're always right. They are always right. Daniel and his three friends, we kind of touched on them, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all had the same view. That God is able to save us. God is able. They had unwavering faith in that. And we see that in their stories. But they also knew that even if he didn't, for whatever reason that he had, he was still a hundred percent worthy to be feared. I'm sure there's other instances that aren't recorded in all the captives that were brought over, where the Jewish people stood right for the Mosaic law, for serving God, for doing those things, and it didn't end as well as it did for Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. We don't see those stories in there, but I'm sure that it happened. People killed, people put in jail, that the result was not what we see in these stories, and these guys would have known that, knowing that their fate could be done in that moment, and they still said, we serve God. In Daniel 3, 16 through 18, this is the um, the response that these three had to King Nebuchadnezzar when he said, if the music plays and you don't bow down, I'm throwing you into the fiery furnace. And uh, they, he's like, so what, God's going to save you? And it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I think that's great right there. If this be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Right? That's right. Those words are not recorded in Daniel's uh, account in in chapter 6, but his actions speak the same exact thing. They had faith that their God was all-powerful. The miraculous could happen. They had no doubt of that. Their faith was unwavering that he could do it. But they also recognized that God had sovereignty, and it might not happen that in no way demoted God or took him like off of his throne or the place, the position that he had. But how many of us, we determine God's place by what happens? Just think about it. If a healing happens, if a circumstance changes, like God's so much more real. He's so much more. But is he? He's the same. Whether he does it or whether he doesn't do it. Daniel and his friends said that they would worship and serve God because he was all-powerful and all-wise and all-knowing, even if nothing happened. Isn't that good? Like, let's get there, right? Let's get there where we can say, God, I 100% have no faith wavering that you can do a miracle here. But even if you don't, You are exactly the same God, man, the faith. Now, should we pray for the supernatural? Absolutely. Should we pray for healings and miracles? Yes, God tells us to, but we just can't falter if nothing happens. We have to trust his plan, his sovereignty. Daniel and his friends, the first group of captives, received a letter from Jeremiah, and I don't know if some of you may have connected these two before, but they received a letter from Jeremiah, this group of people that had experienced this awful pain together, okay? Like when you read through it, you don't read about their pain, but they were ripped from their families, their homes destroyed. I'm sure there were, they were in agony. There's tears, right? They're in pain together. This group traveled together. Their entire lives were changed. In Jeremiah 29:1, this is what tells us that this was for them. It says, "These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon." And one of the most famous verses that we hear all the time is in this chapter, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Wow, doesn't that take it to a new level? These people who had been taken captive, knowing that they were being put in captivity because um, it was you know, prophesied, their um, widespread disobedience in their city, this was kind of a punishment. In the midst of knowing that, walking through this horrific thing, being captured, God tells them, you're going to have some hope in a future. <laughs> Isn't that God? I'm giving you a consequence, but let me just tell you the end so you know. You're going to walk through this, but I have more in the midst of the consequence. But the verse that I want to show you in this is um, the verses five through seven. This is what he was telling them to do while they were there. Listen, when we're going through something, there are consequences, but even in those consequences, God gives you direction, and he wants to see if you're going to follow it, right? Follow what God has for you wherever you are. So in this verse, verse 5, it says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives, answer your phone, no, just kidding, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare. I love this. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare and you will find welfare. Man. These guys were told to pray for the nation that had captured them, that had ripped them away from their homes and that would go back and continue to tear it down and bring more people and loot this holy place where they worshiped God. Pray for them. What? <laughs> God, have you lost your marbles? Kill them. Like, take them out. Pray for them. Build our lives with them. our Talk to them on the street? What? Has God lost it? Probably not. What's interesting is when it says seek, it says try with intention. It doesn't mean just kind of do it, it means on purpose. Intentionally go out of your way to seek their welfare, their peace, their prosperity. That's hard. But God's plan and God's provision is always right. Their consequences did put them in this place. Their disobedience to God is why they're here in the first place. But in the middle of this, he says, I have a plan. I want you to pray for (laughs) them." You're like, I want a new plan. But God says, I got this. Follow me. Sometimes our prayers put us in places where we don't want to be, and we begin to ask God, is this really the plan? They're accusing us. They're attacking us. Daniel was being attacked. But this is why it continues in verse 11. In doing what I'm asking you to do, in seeking the welfare, and seeking um, prosperity for this city that's evil, you're honoring me. There's hope in me. Hope for your people to prosper and have a future. Daniel recognized that God was over it all. In fact, when Daniel was praying in that window, I wonder if he was praying for them right then. As his attackers were standing outside saying, we got him. Let's go tell the king. Daniel's praying for their welfare. How many of us are not there? Our attackers, our our culture, the people that God's put in authority over us, we're attacking back. We're not praying. We're not seeking their prosperity, that's for sure. Who's your hope in? Is it in them or is it in God? Daniel recognized that God was over all of it, that his fate was not in their hands. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 20 through 21, as he's being consistent, following God, sharing dreams with different kings. He says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So he chose God's way. He chose to pray and give thanks to pray for the welfare of this city that was evil and against what he believed, that was was against what his Mosaic law taught him, that was against the God that he served. He prayed for them. He prayed for the men that tattled on him. How would that change your perspective in the middle of that situation? Right? right? So as we walked through, Daniel, we talked about that your priorities are going to be revealed under pressure. Be prepared. Be prepared now for what's coming in the future. We talked about expecting attacks. See them for what they are. Enemy is a liar. And at the end of the day, God's plan and his provision is always, always right. Where are you at right now? What is God calling you to do? How are you being a light? Are you praying for the people around you? It's your business, in your city, your state, in your nation. Are you praying and showing kindness and love and using the gifts that God's given you to help the world around you? Not at the expense of living rightly before God. Of course, Daniel never wavered His friends never wavered. When they were confronted with something that was against it, you saw how they stood, and they did consistently what God wanted them to do. There will be clashes, right? There's going to be um, attacks because of our faithfulness. Stand firm. Honor those who are over you, even if they do not follow God. Trust his plan that he can do the miraculous, and he will. But even if he doesn't, his way is the best. In this broken world, it's loved by God. All the brokenness, God loves it. Every part of it. And when something's broken, it's sharp, it's pointy, it hurts. You pick something up that's broken, you could even get cut. This world is broken. It hurts people. God loves this world and he's weaving, and he's moving through it. Your prayers are never wasted. I wonder if Daniel ever felt like, God, does it even matter? I'm praying every day in this window. What does it matter? Your prayers are not wasted. Your time spent living for him is not worthless. It's not. You are preparing, so when that pressure comes, that attack comes, you will live out God's plan God wanted Daniel and those captives to live victoriously, just like he wants you guys to. He wants you to live in victory and bring glory to his name. This is why when he gave that word to Jeremiah that we all know, it was so they would know how to live, so that when the pressure came, the right things had been cultivated, the right things on the inside. When those attacks sharply hit, right? This week, I did not enjoy my kids having to deal with stuff. was not okay with me i had to hold back the mama bear a little bit because you don't want people messing with your kids your family right when those attacks hit you don't want to falter they knew they were coming and whether god responded miraculously or not he was still god whether god intervenes in your situation in a miraculous way it does not take him off the platform God is a God of promise and a future and a hope, and that's what he shared. So whatever we see going on down here, we know that he has a future and a hope. That verse means so much more when you know the story behind it. There's so much more depth. If you could start that song for me back there, James. If you could stand with me. This morning, this story that I almost put to the side, saying that it was a kid's story, too familiar. God showed me so many things through this story, and I hope this morning that he's opened our hearts and he's opened our minds to see that his goal in every single thing is to give his name glory, but to give you a future, he said you know, in a world that's hostile me. and against you, because so much of this world does not love Jesus. If you could close your eyes with me. This morning, if you are here, and you're saying, Pastor Melissa, this God that you talk about that was with Daniel and with his friends this God that has good things for me, even in bad situations, I don't know him. If you're here this morning and you would like to begin to make this God a God of your life, the God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and who rose three days later victorious so that what we deserve was given to him, if you wanna know that God this morning, Can you just raise your hand because we want to pray with you this morning. If there's anyone here. This morning, I think all of us in our hearts can recognize that there's places that we have not made our priorities right. That there's places that we have not expected the attack and so we Reacted wrong. God, help us to see that your plan, your provision is so good and so right and it's against what we might want. But God, this morning, help us to seek your will and your way just like Daniel did, consistently, never changing, honoring those around him, but loving you fiercely and living rightly no matter what the cost. God, help that be us. Give us boldness. Give us courage, Jesus. Forgive us for not preparing. Forgive us for not watching and being aware of what's around us. Holy Spirit, stir our hearts and encourage us that you have a future and a hope. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you for what you're going to do. This morning, if you just feel like you need to find a a place of prayer just to spend some time with God, I encourage you to come up to the front. These altars are open. Kneel where you are. Even now, if you want to come up, you're welcome to come up. Spend some time with Jesus. Talk to him this morning. Jesus, we love you. But God, this morning, we are thankful that you give us kids' stories. We're thankful that your word is full of things that challenge our hearts to see that part that we need to change. I pray that you help these these amazing people walk out of here knowing your love, challenged to do more, but knowing they rest in your hands, that you love them so incredibly much, I pray that they walk out of here blessed and knowing your peace. I pray they walk out of here um, knowing that you are going to walk with them, that they are never alone. I pray that you would shine your face on them and that, God, that you would walk before them. I pray that they have God moments this week that they never saw coming, that they're able to share who you are and further your kingdom and bring glory to your name wherever they are at, in their place of business, God, at the doctor's office, Lord God, wherever that place is. I pray that you cover them, protect them, and keep them. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Go out of here blessed, encouraged, love somebody as you go out, and uh, just be aware that you truly have a future and a hope in Jesus. God bless you guys.